Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Are you looking for a place to belong? I grew up in church and I can tell you that sometimes even I can feel like an outsider. But we want to be the church that everyone can feel at home in. From the seasoned believer to the person who's just not really sure whether God is out there at all. So we're pouring all of our attention into small groups. Small groups are where we want to hear from you and help you take root and grow in relationship with other people just like you. For more information on small groups, send us an email at fbcrungi at gmail.com with your name and information and title the email, I'm interested in small groups. Today we're going to conclude our series by continuing to talk about how to help an entitled person not feel so entitled. And let's face it, that's going to be some hard work. But then, that's the point. Today's message is entitled, Disentitled. What's this about rules for pa's and sons? This first. Hmm. The 75-cent rule. The 75-cent rule. I don't, uh, I don't believe I ever heard of that one. Well, that's what I figured. Hmm. What it is, Pa, is that nowadays, kids get 75 cents a week allowance instead of 25 cents. 75 cents? That's a lot of money. And in a year's time, I'd come to see this. 52 weeks in a year. It comes to around $40 a year. <laughs> That's an awful lot of money for a young. They get it, Pa. They do, huh? And they don't have to work for it like I do. Hmm. Well, who is this, uh, this they you keep talking about? Oh, Arnold Winkler and everybody. Arnold Winkler. I don't believe I know him, do I? They're new from Raleigh. Oh, I see. And, and the Raleigh rules say, uh, say 75 cents and no work, huh? I guess. Mm-hmm. You want it straight, don't you? Mm-hmm. Okay, here it goes. There are no rules for pa's and sons. Uh, it's as simple as this. Each, uh, each mother or father raises his boy or girl, as the case may be, the way that uh, he thinks is best. And I think it's best for you to get a quarter and work for it. You see, when you give something, in this instance, cleaning the garage, and you get something in return, like a quarter, well, that's the greatest feeling in the world. You do feel good after working, don't you? Uh-huh. Good and tired. <laughs> well, as, uh, as you get bigger, well, you'll be doing more and more work for more and more return, and that good feeling will get bigger. Do you understand what I mean? I think so. Good. I'm not going to get the 75 cents. <laughs> and I have to work for the 25. Right. It's all clear to you? Yeah. The bigger you get, the tireder you get. <laughs> well, uh, you just you just think about that for a while. Do I have to? Don't you want to think about it? It makes me kind of sad. <laughs> well, the thing to do when you're feeling sad is to shoot for the good feeling. Clean the garage. Right. It's long, Paul. The long <laughs> Does it ever amaze you how some people expect God's best to just fall into their lap? Well, if so, then you're right where you need to be because we're concluding a four-part series today called All About Entitlement. Now, I realize that this might cut to the quick, but in the first message, we talked about how entitlement really runs deep in all of us. It's easy to point out entitlement in others because it's everywhere you look. But let me ask you, how easily do you spot entitlement within yourself? During week one, we talked about how entitlement often disguises itself as something else, so we seldom recognize it when it displays itself in our behavior. But entitlement is there. It's trying to tempt us to be God. 
because God should be doing better in my life. I mean, I want more. God, you're not really doing a good job. If I were God, I would change these things. And this this feeling, this entitlement feeling that we have that we're owed something that we're not, we can do something about it. We must ask God for help to, to curb our desire to want to be God into wanting to be like God instead. The second part of this series, we talked about how dangerous entitlement is in the church. Entitlement kills churches. So we need to address it and we need to deal with it when we see it. This might even mean we have to abandon what we are righteously entitled to because that's what Jesus did for us. If we're going to follow Christ, we're going to have to follow Christ's example. Last week, we talked about some practical ways to help an entitled person, which often includes recognizing that we might be a part of the problem. We can sometimes make it easy for people to choose entitlement. But we have to do what's right, even when it's hard, which means we might have to make things hard on people. And we're accused of being some pretty horrible individuals when we do this. Well, today I thought it might be prudent to be, to, you know, just examine a biblical case study on how to address entitlement. And so I think maybe it will serve as a guide for helping us in our conversations with entitled people. And it's my hope that you might be encouraged through this study that there is hope for our loved ones, even when things seem pretty dire. The case study is found in Joshua chapter 17. We're going to read verses 14 through 18 together. And I'm sure you already know this, but we are so incredibly blessed to have Scripture to turn to. If we have a problem, we can turn to Scripture and pray for an answer. Um, There's not a step-by-step guide in Scripture, but I believe Scripture can help us through just about anything in life. For example, if you are trying to address slothfulness, um, Proverbs 6, 9-11 through says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. When we need guidance, we simply turn to God's word and we pray for an answer. Joshua, however, had a much smaller version of God's word known as the Torah, which really doesn't have much guidance for how to deal with an attitude of entitlement, which is why this story is so absolutely incredible. How Joshua deals with entitlement is so slick, we can take notes from him and we can practice it in our own conversations and our own relationships. This is what happens. Joshua chapter 17, we're going to look at verse 14 first. It says, The people of Joseph said to Joshua, Why have you only given us one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people, and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Now, it might sound like at the end of this passage that they're showing some gratitude that God has blessed us abundantly. But what they were actually saying is is that there's a lot of us, and this is all we get. Now, if you look at this passage, Joshua had some entitled people on his hands. What was actually going on is Joshua was distributing the land, the promised land, to people. And uh, Joseph's people, because of who who they were in their minds, um, they didn't feel like they were getting a fair inheritance, that they felt like they were entitled to more. And, you know, something that's interesting to note about Joseph's descendants is, is that they had every reason to feel important. Because think about it. If there wasn't a Joseph, if it wasn't for their forefather, there wouldn't be an Israelite nation because everybody would have starved to death when the famine waylaid all of Egypt. And so, since they were the people of Joseph, would it make more sense that they got 
more land than others. Wouldn't it make sense that because of the things their forefather did, they should get more than everybody else? However, Joshua doesn't respond the way that they want him to. Joshua responds with the only answer for those who have an attitude of entitlement. This is what he says in verse 15. He says, If you're so numerous, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and Raphaites. Raphaites. I think I said that right. Joshua's response, it might seem a little sarcastic, depending on how you read it. Essentially what he does is he tells them that if they want something, they're going to have to work for it. They're going to have to earn it. He even goes back to their original point. He says, you know what? You're right. If there's so many of you, it should be easy. It should be a lot easier anyway, but you're still going to have to work for it. If there's so many of you, many, many hands make light work. So this, this point that he makes, it might seem so basic for us, but remember, we have thousands of years of example through history and God's word that helps us arrive at this conclusion. Joshua didn't have that, which is why I'm convinced that Joshua's statement was divine intervention. God's words to Adam might have even been running through Joshua's mind as he gave them this response. God told Adam in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. He tells him, By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. So essentially, God told Adam, Things that used to come very easily for you, now you're going to have to work hard for. I think this is true. Most people hate working hard. I know there's the occasional nut that enjoys hard labor, but I think most people, we don't like working hard. Something uh, my friend's grandfather used to say comes to mind. He says, um, he said, work smarter, not harder. And what he was saying is, is like, you might be making things harder on yourself than it needs to be. So hard work isn't super fun. Sometimes there is a shortcut. But because sin has entered the world, we have to work hard. When we work, we want it to be easy. But if there's something that we want, God makes it clear we're going to have to sweat for it. Did you know that in 2001, France decided to move its regular work week back from 40 hours to 35? The idea was to boost the quality of life for the workers while consequently lowering unemployment. After all, if less people worked, there, were going to be have, there would have to be more people hired to make up the difference. Unfortunately, it didn't have the desired effect. Unemployment in 2001 was 8.8%. Unemployment today is 10.1%. Now France is trying to repeal their decision to reduce the work week and it's been met with heavy resistance from the workforce. Apparently workers now feel entitled to work less since that's become the norm. Why should we work more for the same pay? God's rule is that if we don't want to work hard for something, we won't get it. Joshua shared this reality with the descendants of Joseph. He said, you know, instead of heeding his instructions, uh, they began pouring out excuses as to why they shouldn't have to work hard for what they wanted. And, and he comes back with a response. So they respond to his response. They say, uh, verse 16, it says, The people of Joseph replied, The hill country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who live in the plain have iron chariots, both those in Beth Shan and its settlements in the valley of Jezreel. So 
it just goes to show that whenever you tell people God's truth, it's always going to be met with heavy resistance. That's the sinful nature. Um, the people said, even if we take the hill country, it still won't be enough for us. Besides, there are mighty armies there. Translation, I get what you're saying, Joshua, but taking this land is not going to be easy. You see, entitled people, we want everything to be easy. Unfortunately, that's just not how the world works unless someone else does the hard work for us. So, I think, I think this is true. I, I think there are people who have a Superman complex and they just want to help people. Call it an impulse to always want to come in and save the day. It helps them feel loved and appreciated. But if they have to take the harder end of the work to make things easy on people just so that they feel appreciated, they'll certainly do it. Have you ever been blessed with a generous gift? Have you ever tried to bless others with a generous gift? You know, there are those who, when they receive a, a, a blessing, they don't expect it, and they don't expect it to continue, and so they receive that generosity with thanksgiving and gratitude. However, there are also those who feign gratitude, and it, and it might be a little unable, you might be un, un, unable to detect the entitlement d d directly, but you see it when the generosity doesn't continue. And, and there's just, I think there's two kinds of people in the world, those who are gracious for, for what they receive and those who aren't. And Dr. Henry Cloud's book, The Entitlement Cure, he explains how, how we can reach an entitled person where they're at and, and help to change them. He says entitlement whispers to us to take life easy, to pull back, and to chill out. It seduces us with soft words like, hey, you're worth it. You don't deserve to have to put in such a hard day. But entitlement and a better life simply don't go together. He says, like oil and water, they just don't mix. Do you know, do you want to know the primary and best motivation to, to help an entitled person and to help get them out of the mud? Here it is in all its simplicity. Your entitled person needs to want better than what they have right now. There's an old saying that rings true in our world. No pain, no gain. And if we're willing to work for something, we'll get it. But if we're not willing to work for something, we won't get it. It's just as simple as that. But how do you drill that into the mind of someone who already is used to having everything handed to them? How do you, how do, you do what Dr. Cloud says and help them to want something better than what they have right now? Well, notice Joshua's response in verses 17 and 18. So he tells them you're going to have to go work for it. They say, but, but, this is what he says. But Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are numerous and very powerful. You will not only have one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it, and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites, though the Canaanites have iron chariots and though they are strong, you can drive them out. Essentially, Joshua says something like this. All right, guys, you're right. You are a numerous people. And you know what? You need more land. And there's, there's lots of large armies out there. And you can have more. Heck, you can have it all. But if you want it, you're still going to have to go out and work for it. Joshua gives us the final piece of the puzzle here on how to help an entitled person. You lay it out for them, and when they resist, you stick to your guns. He doesn't give in to their complaints and their excuses. 
in America, I think putting food on the table isn't isn't a struggle for a lot of people. In fact, I would go as far as to say that that there are so many government subsidies in America today that nobody really has an excuse as to why they would ever go hungry. My dad once told me a parable. He said two guys are sitting back to back, and one of them says to the other, "Man, this sunset is so absolutely beautiful." It's got to be the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen. And the other guy says to him, Well, man, I sure wish I was looking that way. The moral of the parable is that some people are so lazy that they can't even experience God's blessing and they can't see how good God is because they won't they won't just do something as simple as look. I mean, like that's all you really have to do is open your eyes and see God work. But I think it also it tells us that if we want to see what God has in store for us, he's not just going to drop it into our laps. We have to get up and we have to work for it. If you want to become the person God is calling you to be, he's not just going to snap his fingers and then all of a sudden you're going to be that person. He wants you to get up and to put in the hard work and follow him. I mean, you got to make sacrifices to be the person that God's calling you to be. Consider what you're teaching an entitled person when you don't stick to your guns. Consider what you're you're teaching them when they complain and you give in. They learn that all it takes to get what what they really want is to just complain or maybe even pour out a little bit of guilt. You know, we think to ourselves, well, if I have to make a scene, it's a small price to pay just to get what I want. I mean, that's what you learn, essentially. One time I went into McDonald's and I was going to get breakfast, and I I go and I stand in, in line, and it's probably about, I don't know, maybe eight to ten people. So it's a full room. Anyway, a woman bypasses the line that we're all standing in and she screams at the person behind the counter, I ordered an Egg McMuffin and there's no egg on this Egg McMuffin. And the manager walks around the corner and he says, "Uh, Ma'am, no need to raise your voice. I'm really sorry about that. Let me take care of that for you. And so he walks around the corner and he returns with another Egg McMuffin and she snatches it out of his hands and she walks out the door and I don't know, about 30 to thirty seconds to a minute later, she returns and she acts even angrier than she was before. There is still no egg on my Egg McMuffin. And the manager says, ma'am, and he says it as calmly as he can, but he says, ma'am, I personally made sure that there was egg on that Egg McMuffin. Apparently her rants and ravings made an impression on him and he's going to make sure it was there. So he tells her, I personally made sure it was there. And she screams at him in front of everyone, I want my money back. And the manager bows his head and he lets out a deep sigh and he gives her the money that she paid for the Egg McMuffin. So she got the Egg McMuffin and her money back. Now, what do you think she just learned? She learned that if she wants something in life, All she has to do is throw a tantrum and kick her feet and flail her arms. She learned that all she has to do is make a scene and she can get what she wants. In truth, she didn't just learn this lesson. She learned that lesson a long time ago. She was just putting it in practice in front of everybody at McDonald's. But is she really doing herself any favors? Really? Did the manager do her any favors? Aren't there scenarios in life where complaining and throwing a tantrum won't help you? I mean, imagine this scenario. This very same woman is sitting in a hospital room and and the doctor walks in and says, I'm sorry, ma'am, it's cancer. Does it do her any good to throw a tantrum, to scream at the doctors, to, to flail her arms and kick her feet? I mean, does it really do her any good? 
You know, we often fail to follow Joshua's example and stick to our guns, and what ends up happening is we create a monster, an entitlement monster. But if we're going to help an entitled person, that's exactly what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to stick to our guns. Notice how he does it, though. He's not like, you guys are so entitled and I don't have time for your garbage. And he doesn't slam the door in their face. What he does is he encourages them to want something better for themselves. He's like, guys, you're right. It's good. You're going to have to get some more land. And right now, you only have a little bit. But if you want more, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to get out there and bust your rump and do something about it. But he also tells them, you can do this. He's like, don't get it twisted. You're a very numerous and powerful people. And you have a powerful God. Even if you weren't a numerous people, you have a powerful God on your side. God has given you the ability to take this land. In fact, he has promised it to you. All you have to do is to go after it and it will be yours. It's not going to be easy. But hey, getting what's easy all the time isn't always what's best. He tells them, you can do this. What comes to my mind when I read this passage is kind of like a, a, a mother bird pushing her baby bird out of the nest. If she could speak, it would sound something like this. You can do this. You can do this. To, you must do this. You must do this. To, if you don't want to die, you will do this. You will do this. Here you go. Out you go. Stomping out entitlement, it might not seem like a life or death situation, but it is. As Paul so aptly stated, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. This was something that's practiced within the early church, and it makes sense as to why. why. Why did Paul say that? He said that because if somebody takes the day off, that means somebody else is going to have to work much harder to get the same amount of work done. I've heard it said before that church is often like a football game. There are only a few players out on the field that desperately need rest, while there are a lot of people up in the stands that are watching, and they desperately need exercise. I think that's why Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to do ministry. And ministering to an entitled person, man, it, it's, it's tough. It's hard work. Joshua, he, consequently, he, he laid out this plan for the people to follow, and, and he tells them, you know, if you want to experience God's blessing, you're going to have to go out and work for it. And, and they tell him that they're going to. But um, if you actually read in Judges, what you, what you see is they fail to follow through. That, that he ins- had instructed them that if they wanted God's plan to unfold, if they wanted to experience the promise uh, that, that he has given them, then they're going to have to get out and work. And, and they, just, they just fail to follow through. And I think it just goes to show that sometimes... There are just people you can't help. You can't help everybody that has an attitude of entitlement. Sometimes people are so addicted to easy that they don't know anything else. And and, and let me tell you something. Addictions, I can speak from experience, addictions are hard to break. It's only by the grace of God that you can break an addiction. However, I know at least one place, at least one, where entitlement does not exist. And, And it could be that this is the only place in the world where entitlement doesn't exist. Not even a little bit. It's in the persecuted church. When people are convinced that holding on to faith is a life or death situation, there's not any room for easy. There's only, I have to work 
to survive. I have to do what I'm going to do to survive. Let me just say this because I think it needs to be said. When we talk about working to experience God's promise, we need to have enough spiritual maturity to understand that we're not talking about working for your salvation. What we're talking about is the fact that God doesn't just drop everything into our laps. That he wants us to experience his blessing and it means that we're going to have to sacrifice. It means that we're going to have to put in the hard work to see that come to fruition. Um, It's amazing how we can come together as the church and work for the common good when we understand that we're, we're living in a spiritual war zone and that every member of the body, it matters. You know, in truth, we don't live in a country where we're persecuted for our faith. At least, not yet. However, I pray that God will give us each a spirit of servanthood and open our eyes to the war that's going on around us. Because we know that when we adopt the attitude of Christ, we won't have room to feel entitled. When we see that it's, it, it's, that we're living in a war zone and that people's lives hang in the balance here, that we need to be obedient to God, and it means that we're going to have to work hard. It means that we're going to have to sacrifice. I think then we will see why it's so important to serve instead of wanting to be served and to give instead of always receiving. And I know in, cult, in our culture, entitlement is, is just about everywhere you look. But here's what I know. I know that today there were countless believers all across the world that united in fellowship and they didn't have an attitude of entitlement. Why? Because their primary concern was for their lives. I mean, not only for their lives, but, but for the lives of the people around them. They have a heart that, that seeks after God's heart, and, and they're not worried about all the things that they can get. They're worried about somebody else. We can be those people. And I think when we are those people, we can make a difference in our community. You know, there's a lot of hard work to be done. There's a lot of ministry that needs to be done. And it's not going to be easy. But would you really have it any other way? We have to want something better for ourselves, for things to change. We have to help convince others that they want better for themselves if they want to change. And I think this is, this is why we need God so badly. We can't minister without God, without, without the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. We can't really minister to somebody. We can't help them. But you know, I I believe that just wanting, that's not enough. We have to get out there and be willing to work for it. And when we we meet resistance, we're going to have to stick to our guns. I want to end today with a passage of scripture. It's Psalms 128.2. It says, You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Although you may feel weary from hard work, you will reap the fruits of your labor eventually. The end of entitlement is always hard work. And the reward, it's always worth it. Hey, thanks again for listening. 
We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.